Hey, welcome back. So, first of all, before I get into anything, I want to thank each and one of you for tuning into today's podcast. There's a lot that I want to cover today. Uh, we'll see, you know, how I do for time. But, but I want to talk about a blueprint. I mean, you see it in the title, title of today's uh, production, uh, a blueprint for a silver squeeze. So what I want to talk about today is is just that, a blueprint. Uh, something that we have seen in other markets, one market in particular that I want to discuss today, that to some extent can be replicated in the silver market with a couple caveats. Namely, that there's some key differences, uh, both working for and against the silver market and the physical silver market. But I want to start off with, with a talk about commodities. Talk about physical assets, right? Because when it's all said and done, one of the big parts, one of the big reasons behind the whole squeeze in silver is, is essentially a physical squeeze. It's a physical asset, which makes it far different than a lot of other assets out there that can uh, either be rehypothecated or otherwise not physical in nature. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a limited supply of stocks, equities out there. There's a limited supply of, of even real estate, which can maybe be more easily squeezed than than something like a more paper type of asset. Um, bonds, there's a limited amount of bonds, corporate, uh, municipal, sovereign bonds. It's a huge supply, but there's a limited amount, right? Um, dollars, there's not a limited amount of that, really. It may be in theory, but a lot of the, you know, rehypothecated. Uh, but one of the, one of the real attractive aspects of, of physical commodities is that there's a limited amount and that they can be squeezed physically by buying a large amount and thus driving up costs for a variety of reasons, whether it's, um, the end users requiring, uh, requiring the, the, the commodity, the metal, the lumber, whatever it might be in the first place to make their product and thus, you know, driving up the price further, um, whether it's uh, sort of a fear of missing out among other investors and thus more people buying into the to the physical asset. Um, it's, it's an asset that can be squeezed uh, more so just on the basis of the physical supply and demand picture, um, whereas is in something like in the stock market, those squeezes tend to be as a result of, of uh, short positions and, and long positions, options and, and other derivatives, essentially. And so in the last year, we, we've seen these squeezes play out. We saw, we saw it in the lumber market. Just to review here, uh, let's see if I can find some charts here um, to, to, to talk about the lumber market here. Uh, earlier this year, the lumber market per unit, uh, I don't know if this is uh, uh, cubic foot or I'm not sure exactly. I'm not a lumber market kind of guy. Uh, the peak was around $1,500 a piece. Okay. Uh, that was a big move to the upside. It was a squeeze essentially, right? Uh, back in 2020, in fact, the, the price was as low as $250. Um, and even before that, you know, there was a big move up in 2018. And, and even then, you know, in mid 2018, the, the price per unit was only, you know, maybe around 600 a piece, right? Um, a big move to the upside, right? Uh, however, it has since come back down and, and the current price of lumber is back in the $600 level, which is a high level relative to 2018, but certainly much, much lower than it was earlier this year. Um, right now, we're seeing a similar thing play out actually in the, the steel market. 
if you look at uh, the the price of uh, U.S. Midwest, this is from investing.com, U.S. Midwest domestic hot rolled coil steel futures. Currently sitting around $923 a unit. Uh, to put that in comparison, at the beginning of the year, it was uh, around $1,149. Um, this time last year is in the ballpark of $615 during sort of the, the parts of the depths of the pandemic lows, um, under $500 a unit. Um, and so we're seeing a similar thing play out in the steel market, a big move to the upside, a physical commodity with a finite supply. And because of that, whether it's on the basis of supply chain, increased demand from end users, whatever it might be, a big move to the upside. Um, that in many ways is mirroring what had happened in lumber. Before we go to silver, though, I want to talk about one other metal, which I think is maybe more pertinent than those two commodities um, to, to the silver market. And, and that's sort of a squeeze that is ongoing, could far surpass the squeeze in those markets, is certainly much more accessible, uh, maybe more accessible. I, I guess I'm not a huge steel and, and lumber investor, but, but I think of it as maybe a little more accessible to the average investor. Um, and, and what I'm talking about here, and a squeeze that potentially could be much more drawn out. What I'm talking about here is the uranium market. This is, by the way, a bit of a plug for uranium, the uranium market. Of course, don't take any of this as investment advice. Um, but it is a, a hot sector, but certainly still an under, uh, valued sector, in my opinion, right now, uh, both the price of uranium and uranium miners and, and their associated stocks. Uh, give you some quick background. Actually, this was pretty well summarized uh, recently in an article. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, this was written uh, in an article over on Substack by user Doomberg, but they're quoting um, a guy by the name of Harris Kupperman. Uh, aka Cuppy, author of the Adventures in Capitalism blog and founder of Cuppy's event-driven monitor. Okay, He's talking about the uranium market here. Quote, the world is producing roughly 125 million pounds from primary mining, 25 million pounds from secondary sources, and consuming roughly 180 million pounds for an overall deficit of 30 million pounds a year. Now, I am no end quote. I'm no expert in the uranium supply and demand. There's a lot of ins and outs, just like there is in the physical silver supply and demand market as well. However, you don't have to be an expert to realize that, hey, there's a huge shortfall there. I think the big, a uh, big part of that, that 30 million pound deficit is on the basis of, of really two factors. First of all, a really low price in uranium for a long time now. Uh, which which has certainly discouraged uh, mines and other entities from you know increasing production, and and the other aspect is is that for a while there was a lot of supply out there on the market um, surplus that had been stored in you know a variety of places I'm sure that had been basically released on the market to cover that deficit. Well, those supplies are are dwindling. You're ending up with with a huge mismatch between supply and demand. And, and unlike the silver market, you don't have just, what's the right word, oodles, mountains, piles of silver sitting around in people's safes in the country of India and, and among their private investors or even you know Western investors to throw into the market. People don't stack uranium. 
producers, um, maybe some market participants, we're going to do that here in a second, certainly some do and have for a long time, um, maybe some utilities, but as a whole, it's not, it's, it's a little different here from the silver market. You have a big deficit. And here's where the blueprint comes into play. Not only do you have an investment thesis here that, hey, uranium is undervalued. It's got to go up because uh, they're not increasing production, because uh, there, there's a huge shortfall in demand. Not only is that in play, but, but there's another big event that happened earlier this year. Sprott, uh, we, we all know the name. The, the company, the huge asset management company run by a guy by the name of Eric Sprott, um, of course, has the uh, physical spot or physical uh, silver um, trust, uh, also owner of, of gold trust, a lot of, of natural resources, types of, of ETFs and whatnot, um, and and arguably a big player in in what has been the silver squeeze movement in 2021. And, and I think we'll continue in the future. If we're looking at this as really a blueprint for a, a bigger silver squeeze in the future, uh, in their, in their physical silver trust, where essentially they do take the labor of the physical silver, where it's much more, um, opaque when you're talking about something like, uh, the iShares SLV, um, silver, uh, ETP or ETF, whatever you want to call it. Sprott, huge name in, in natural resources. They announced that they're going to, that they're going to launch their Sprott uh, Uranium Trust, Physical Uranium Trust, SPUT, S-P-U-T. Kind of a big deal. Essentially, you have a tight market, which we've kind of covered here, where some utilities, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say utilities, some mining companies such as Denison Mines had, um, had, had taken the steps to actually start withholding some supply to the market, essentially building up a large supply, taking supply off the market by by increasing their own holdings of uranium. You had some ETFs, some uranium plays that would buy physical uranium. Um, but but then they announced that they're launching this new Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. And there's a lot of interest because this is Sprott. And actually, it's been huge. It, it launched um, earlier this year, and it has had already a huge impact in the uranium market. Because they're buying all this stuff out on the, uh, essentially the spot market, a market that a lot of utilities don't care about or pay a whole lot of attention to. A lot of times they're sending long-term contracts. But here Sprott comes out of the gates um, with, with a huge amount of money that has been basically thrown their way by investors that have, have bought into this trust, um, which you can which you can trade, right? You're trading shares of it just like you do with, with, the, uh, with, with the Sprott, you know, physical silver trust. Um, and... And actually, yesterday they announced that they surpassed one billion dollars in in investments. Basically, that's that, that the size of their fund. I can have the the actual number here uh, if I if I can find it on their their website here. Um, that they're over a billion dollars. That their net asset value is over one billion dollars. At as of uh, yesterday, Sprout Physical Trust has purchased 24 million pounds of uranium. Uh, technically, that's U308. So there's a triuranium octooxide, one of the more common types of uranium that's out there on the market. In addition to that, they also have uh, 300,000 kilograms 
So we're talking over 600,000 pounds of uh, uranium hexafluoride, another common form of uranium out there on the market, maybe less so, but it's out there. Uh, so, so we're talking almost 25 million pounds of uranium. And, and by the way, they actually have a good chunk of their fund that they that they haven't actually invested into uranium yet. They're forced to by by their own rules to 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 spend that money. Um, they just haven't quite yet. They they will shortly, I'm sure. Um, it's a matter of of uh, timing and 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 sourcing the metals in the first place. But 25 million ounces, as I said earlier, we're already on a 30 million, sorry, not ounce, pound, 30 million pound deficit in the physical uranium market, roughly speaking. Those are rough numbers. And already that deficit has almost been doubled just by by Sprott. That 30 million pound deficit has already gone up to 55 million pounds just from Sprott. And they're just getting started. A ton of interest has been moving into the space from Wall Street bets to many other investors. Uh, and it's big and it's growing. And of course, you know, the plug here is that the way to play that is either to get into something like spot and play the spot price, essentially. Um, currently has moved up pretty significantly from the low 30s all the way to just recently over $40 a pound. It's a big milestone for the uranium market, um, as well as as uranium miners. There's a ton out there. I'll say in my own portfolio, my very small, uh, meager portfolio. Um, I have Denison Mines along with... Um, uh, the other one is the ticker symbol UUUU, uh, energy fuels, I think it is. Um, I'd have to double check that though. So, so this is a blueprint here. So that's my plug, I guess you could say for, for uranium there. But, but this is just a blueprint for what we could see in silver. Now, like I said, there's, there's two key differences here. Um, first of all, the silver market is, is a small market. It is not as small as uranium. Namely, because even if you just push aside the, the yearly production figures, there's a lot of silver that's just out there. Physical silver that's in, in people's vaults, their, their dresser drawers, um, in, in, uh, people's safes, whatever it might be. Um, certainly on exchanges, it's out there. Uh, it's hard to say how many ounces, a few billion, probably. And, and, you know, each year, a little under a billion new ounces come onto the market. Uh, it's a small market. Um, but, but again, you know, if you're looking at 150 million, uh, pounds of, of, of uranium, uh, multiply that by, you know, $40. Um, it's, it's a smaller market. It's a smaller market than silver. Okay. So you have that difference. And as I said before, the silver market, there's a lot of slack supply out there that could get, doesn't mean it will, but could get sold onto the market at the right price, right? It makes sometimes big moves to the upside, unless there's a bigger thing to worry about than just, you know, the price dropping for, for those that are looking to sell their, their supply. Um, it makes it, uh, it can be making it a little challenging, right? You have a big um, supply deficit because of silver squeeze. And hey, guess what? The Indians just sold 100 million ounces onto the market because the price went up, for example, right? Um, that can make things a little challenging. However, one of the big differences here that I think has to be addressed 
is silver's role as a monetary asset as an and as an inflation hedge that cannot be ignored it's different than gold yes but it is an inflation hedge a much better inflation hedge than uranium in, in my opinion or lumber or steel or what what have you much better inflation hedge and it is a monetary asset what that means is that though it would take more dollars, essentially more capital, to squeeze the physical silver market, it's more likely to have those dollars enter the market on the basis of concern about monetary policy, um, about inflation, uh, uh, low interest rates, etc. One of the other key differences, so, so, like I said there, like I said earlier, there's really, you know, this can go two ways. Uh, you can look at it and say, well, the silver market's much bigger and there's a lot of slack supply out there. A few billion ounces, maybe a physical silver bars, coins, etc. But then the other side of it is, is that it's, it's a monetary asset. And I do think that it will continue to be viewed as such despite, you know, some people's proclamations. And what that means is that it it's going to have larger inflows when inflation, when monetary policy, when um, lower interest rates, especially relative to inflation, uh, moves more to the, the forefront of people's minds. The one third, you know, the third thing that, that really separates these two markets is manipulation, right? People... Some people put everything on manipulation. Some people refuse to, to talk about it or, or just dismiss it as conspiracy. Um, I'm not going to do either of those things. Uh, I think inflation, or sorry, manipulation is a huge part of the physical and, and paper, mostly paper um, metals markets, both silver and gold. Uh, but it's not the be all end all, right? Um, so, so that can work in both directions. Uh, on, on one side, that, that can make for some really tough days, weeks, months, years in the silver space and suppress the price for a long period of time despite rising inflation, uh, negative real yields, uh, crazy monetary policy, you name it, crazy fiscal policy. On the other hand, when that manipulation structure fails to, to work as it should or as some people intend it to, what happens then? What happens to a market that has been suppressed by by you know, for, for north of 50 years, people would argue much, much longer than that. What happens when suddenly that suppression fails to occur, whether on purpose or, or because of a lack of control? What happens to that asset and what happens to that price? And in the scenario that that is most likely to occur in is going to be a physical silver squeeze. We have a blueprint for it. And, and I think most people are already on board with it. What's happening in uranium is crazy, right? And, and I'm happy to, to, you know, be at least somewhat involved in it, right? Uh, we have a blueprint for silver too, though. And, and I think it could be just as big, if not bigger, right? Uh, and, and I think it's certainly going to benefit a lot of people in the sense that, as I said before, silver is going to work a lot better in terms of preservation of wealth as an inflation hedge than, you know, something like uranium. As always, uh, thank, I'd like to thank every one of you for, from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.